Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says everything we need for life and godliness comes from Him. He's given us everything for life and godliness already. There's nothing else I need for godliness. I might need to go out somewhere else and learn about calculus. I might need to learn about law in the United States somewhere else. But when it comes to life and godliness, this is what I need. When it comes to everything I need to be perfect in the sight of God, thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing, then it's the pages of Scripture. The book of 2 Timothy tells us, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you hear that? All truth we need for righteous living can be found in one place, the Bible. With more on the righteousness of God and the continuation out of our teaching in James 1, 20-27, here's Robert Furrow. God's calling you. So here's what I want you to say, Samuel. I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And the word in the Hebrew for listening is listening with an intent to obey. Now, Eli had a lot of problems. Eli had problems with his sons, but I think these are some of the wisest words that are spoken in the Bible. Say to the Lord, speak now, your servant is listening. God is infinitely higher than a four-star general. And when God speaks to us, we ought to be like, yes, sir, I'm ready to go. You speak and I will listen. I want to be a doer of the word. Now, he gives an example. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He's, he's using the word of God as an example of a mirror. I'm going to go even further than that. The analogy is that the Bible is a mirror to us. That when we look into the Bible, we see ourselves. God speaks to us through it. It's a mirror. There's something supernatural about the words of Scripture. And when you look in a mirror, you don't see your husband. When you look in a mirror, you don't see your youngest son. When you look in a mirror, you see you. When you're in church and we're going through the Word of God, you see you. How many people come up to me after a service and say, you were speaking right to me today? Hey, I got news for you. It's that way for all of us. Just because it's a mirror that we look into. And God doesn't give you, it's not a mirror for you to fix your husband's hair. It's a mirror for you to fix your hair. And the analogy that is used here is that you go and you look in the mirror and you see that there's a big green piece of spinach between your teeth and you walk away and forget about it. Or ladies, have you ever been putting your makeup on and then halfway through it you get distracted and you forget to put eyeliner on part of, on one of your eyes? Has that ever happened to you? And you go home at night and you look in the mirror and you go, ah, all day long. I've been walking around with this, you know, with just about half my, and you say to your husband, why didn't you tell me? And you go, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice. That's the worst thing you could possibly say, right? Now he's in a lot of trouble. But that's the idea. We're sitting here in church and God says, here's the mirror and I want you to change that. And you walk away and you forget what you look like. You forget that spiritually you had that big piece of spinach between your teeth. 
and there's something that God's revealing to you that can actually change your life, that can change your life radically. But when you are a hearer and a doer, it's like you look in the mirror, you see yourself, you go, man, I got to change that. And you walk away and you don't change it at all. I believe that sooner or later, if that is your habit, I believe that sooner or later, the word of God will no longer be that crisp, clear mirror. I, I think that if you're an obedient Christian, if you say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to say. Show me and I'll, I'll correct it. I think that God will speak to you regularly in church. I think if God is silent to you now, if you can go to church and the word of God is read and you are not struck by it, you, you say, I go to church, I don't get anything out of it. Uh, I had prayed earlier and I think this is so true. Anything I say could not be anywhere near as profound as the scriptures we're reading together. That's the power and the profound in it. So wherever you go and wherever you end up, God's going to reach out and speak to you if the word is presented and brought forth. And if it's not done, could it be because you're just not listening? Could it be that you just haven't been, you've been a hearer of the word only and not a doer? You walk away and you forget. But then as, as an example, not even an example, but he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. Now it says three things about the word here. It's perfect, it's the law, and it's liberty the perfect law of liberty. God's word is perfect. It is everything you and I need for perfection. The Bible says that all scripture has been given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for rebuke, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. That tells me that God has given me scripture, that I can be thoroughly equipped and that I don't lack anything. Now, that brings me to a correction that I need to make from last week's study. Saturday night, a gentleman came up to me after the service and said, listen, you said in your study that there are all kinds of truths out there, that the Bible is truth, but there's all kinds of truths out there. And I said, well, that didn't sound right. Not just that I didn't say it because I wasn't questioning that I said it, but I said, I don't think I meant what you just said I said if I said that. And so we tried to talk through what was I talking about when it happened and what did I say? Later on, I kind of thought about it a little bit and I finally got what, what was said. My mind was going so quickly, which rarely ever happens, <laughs> that I got lost where I was. Um, what I meant when I said there's all kinds of truths out there, here's the argument that people have. There are people that believe that you can go other places to find spiritual truth in the Bible. Now that would go directly against the passage I just quoted out of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 that thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. Everything comes from here. It all comes from the word of God. There's nothing that in any other spiritual practice that's out there or so-called spiritual practice that I need in order to be thoroughly equipped, lacking in, in nothing. I, I've got everything here. But here's their, th their, their thinking. They say, well, there's other truth that's out there. In other words, two plus two equals four. And that's not in the Bible. So there's other truth. Well, by your, just your argument there, I would agree with you. There's truth out there about physics. There's truth out there about, I don't know, calculus that you don't find in the pages of scripture. So your argument, I agree with. There's truth that's out there. But then they make a leap that I can't agree with. Their first premise, okay, I'm following you. There's truth out there that's not in the pages of scripture because the Bible is dealing with spiritual things. It's not dealing with calculus. It's not dealing with a doctor doesn't study the Bible to learn how to operate on people, okay? So there's other truth that's out there, but then their leap is, so then there must be spiritual truth that's not in the Bible as well. 
That's where I disagree. Because the Bible says everything we need for life and godliness comes from him. He's given us everything for life and godliness already. There's nothing else I need for godliness. I might need to go out somewhere else and learn about calculus. I might need to learn about law in the United States somewhere else. But when it comes to life and godliness, this is what I need. When it comes to everything I need to be perfect in the sight of God, thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing, then it's the pages of scripture. And let me say that the Bible's not as big as what you think it is either. You can read through the Bible in 70 hours at a slow pace. There really is no excuse for us not knowing God's word, not studying it, reading it, and learning it. I uh, was thinking about Pastor Chuck this week, was thinking about him and how it was very hard to engage him in conversation. Just, you know, wouldn't small talk much. How are you, Chuck? Good. How's the family? Good. How's the church? Good. Okay. But if you asked him about the Bible, or if you asked a question, you know, Chuck, what do you think about this? Hey, I heard this guy talking about this doctrine. What do you think about that? Here's how Chuck would start almost all the time. Well, the Bible says, that, that, that was his, well, the Bible says, and then he would go into what the Bible says about it. Then he would talk for a long time. Well, the Bible says, it was that focus on what God says. And so here in verse 25, it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that is God's word will set you free. We come back to the promise that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. It's the perfect law of liberty. And you say, no, I'll have liberty if I can have what the world has. I'll have liberty if I can have freedom with that. I'll have liberty if I can have freedom of drugs, of sex, of whatever else is out there in the world. No, you will have liberty when it comes to the word of God. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, see, that's the mirror. You look in it, you fix it, you continue in it and is not a forgetter, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. That's a promise. You can mark up, put a P by that promise, that verse. I, I used to do that in a Bible that I had. Whenever I would read the, my Bible at night, I was looking for a promise. I was looking for two things, something to memorize and something that God promised from the passage. That would have been something I marked as a promise. It's a conditional promise. If I will look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it and not be a forgetful hearer, but be a doer of the work, then God will bless me in what I do. You want to be blessed in what you're doing? Then look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it. Don't look into it and walk away and be a forgetful hearer but look in it and continue in it and do what it says and then he gives two examples in fact i'll say he gives three examples and that's the the end of our text he, he closes it out by giving examples that he is now going to develop later on in the book of james so we're going to briefly cover the examples that he gives but we will go into detail in these later on and they're just examples he could have gone to many examples he wants to talk about the perfect law of liberty and the person who continues in it. And if there's anything you know about James and studying the book of James, it's like the book of First uh, John. It's very practical. He just turns to practicality. And that's where he goes here. He says in verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. 
In essence, he says, it's like a man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and sees that he needs to bridle his tongue and he doesn't do it. And he thinks he's religious. He says, I'm a religious man, but I'll cuss when I want to cuss. I'll say what I want to say, but I'm a religious man. Well, your religion, what does it say? Is useless. We all stumble in what we say. That's where James will go on to develop it. It will say that every one of us stumbles in what we say. And the person who doesn't stumble in what he says, by my example of just stumbling, right, is a perfect man. Sometimes I go home, I'm driving home from church, and I, I'm beating myself on my forehead and saying, why did I say that? <laughs> I do. I, I go and I think, why did I even go there? Why did I even bring it up? It wasn't even in the text. It wasn't even, I went all the way. I went down some long rabbit trail to say that. I wish I wouldn't have said that. The man that controls his tongue completely is a perfect man. But if we don't bridle our tongue, if we just let whatever comes out of it, come out of it, there's a radical difference between Christians and non-Christians. Now, there's a profound statement, isn't it? I told you I'm having some work done on my house. Some of the guys that are doing the work on the house go to the church. Some of the guys that are doing the work on the house don't go to the church. There's a, quite a big difference between those two groups of people. <laughs> the music they listen to, the things they talk about, the things that they say the way they respond and react when things go wrong and don't go the way that they want them to go. If anyone doesn't bridle his tongue as a Christian, his religion, then it's useless. His religion is useless. And then it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. He now gets extremely practical. He says, look, if you don't bridle what you say, if your mouth just, you just go on and do whatever you're gonna, then, then your religion is useless. It obviously, if it can't control your tongue, then it's not controlling anything about you. And that's like the, the high school, the, the Christian high school teacher in a Christian school that cussed in front of his students. Just cussed in front of his kids. Thinking what? What is he thinking? If your faith doesn't change the way you talk, then it's not gonna change anything about you. And if your faith doesn't change your heart of compassion, then it doesn't mean anything. And that's what he's saying. Pure and undefiled religion is this. You take care of widows and orphans. God always cared about those who were struggling throughout the whole Old Testament. I love the section in, we covered it not long ago in Exodus. You get to the section after the 10 commandments are given and he gives two chapters on precedent. Do you guys remember those two chapters? He just goes through a bunch of little kind of like analogies or stories, uh, what ifs. That, that set precedent for the law. If a donkey falls in a hole in your property and you borrow the donkey with the owner, then it's the owner's responsibility. If the owner wasn't there, it's your responsibility. It's just precedent so that they can take other situations and plug them into the precedent. There's only a couple of chapters of that in the law in the book of Exodus. And he's talking to the 70 judges who judge Israel. But then he says, if a man takes advantage of a widow or a father or someone who is fatherless, God says, I'll kill him. God didn't say to the judges, here's what I want you guys to do. He says, I just want you to know if someone's out there taking advantage of these people that are hurting and suffering, then I'll kill them. I'll get out, go after them. Which speaks to us greatly. Don't take advantage of people who are in need because you are going against something that is on God's heart. The Bible says, a man who lends to the poor gives to God. Isn't that a great verse? 
The Bible says, given it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will men give unto your bosom? The Bible says that God will return back to you tenfold what you give. But these verses have not been given to us to appeal to our greed, as some preachers would like you to think. If you give $10,000, you'll get back 100,000. If you give 100,000, you get back a million. And I have a tenfold blessing on my ministry. Ah. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to be that person standing before God on the day of judgment. It's taking advantage of people. God didn't give us those promises for you to go, ooh, I can give my way into being a millionaire. God gave those passages to you because he knows that we all struggle financially. And when you see someone that's hurting and you see someone that's in need, you can go, you know what? I'm gonna help them because God will help me. I can give because men are gonna give back to me. I'm gonna lend to the poor and I'm not sure where my bills are gonna come from, but I know that God's gonna pay me back because God said that he would. Given it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I think, I think we all ought to be givers. I think that we all ought to be looking for an opportunity, taking a certain part of our income and giving. I, I like the women's and men's shelter that is at Gospel Rescue Mission. I like the Gospel Rescue Mission in general. It's, I think it's a good opportunity to be able to give, but, and I think that, you know, it's a good opportunity for you to be able to say, I'm gonna take a certain amount of money. Every month I'm gonna give to these women and children that are suffering or these men that are suffering. But also, it's about people that come by you. It's about people you become aware of that are suffering and visiting them. See, the text doesn't say, pure and undefiled religion is to give money to the widows and orphans, does it? It says visiting the widows and orphans. Now, I think an argument could be made that the visiting there means helping them out financially. And I, and I think probably I would have to acquiesce eventually and say, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the base. That's what the thing is talking about. It's talking about helping them. It's talking about coming alongside of them and helping them out. Certainly, it's what it's talking about. But it's talking about us doing it. So again, you look in the mirror. You look in the mirror of God's word. And God says, I want you to take care of the, the widows and the orphans. And you walk away and you don't do it. That's, that's what he's talking about. These are examples now, the last example that he gives, the first one is, hey, if, you, if, if your religion doesn't change the way you talk, it doesn't mean anything. Secondly, you got to take care of widows and orphans and visit them in their trouble. And finally, and keep oneself unspotted by the world. Keep oneself unspotted by the world. Now, that's why I started the teaching today the way that I did. I started off, remember, by saying you are either influencing the world for Jesus or you are being influenced by the world as a Christian as a person that belongs to Jesus because we are to keep ourselves unspotted by the world. It's not just that you're keep to keep yourself from sin in the world. It's that you are to be unspotted by it. World cultures or the way you look, a worldview changes every few years, but a biblical view doesn't change at all. Few, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, the movie um, John Carter came out. My mom had read those books. Who were they written by? Was it Ray Bradbury? Was that who wrote them? No. Who wrote them? Anybody? Somebody's got to know in here, right? Same guy that wrote Tarzan. Who was it? Who? Yes, Burroughs. Thank you. Edgar Rice Burroughs. All right. Um, so John Carter comes out. My mom talks about that, that she read those. And I'm talking to the girl who cut my hair. She says, I read, I read those books. I read the John Carter series. And she said, they're written in the 20s, 30s, somewhere around there. She said, they're incredibly racist, incredibly racist. So she's taking our culture and seeing how much it's changed from the 20s or 30s 
until now and how much racism has been worked out of our culture. And it has been worked out. I mean, what we went through as a nation in the 60s to, to work out, first of all, from slavery being outlawed, and then finally through the 60s to give you know, rights to everyone was all good. But the biblical view was always against racism. God said, right, male and female, Jew and Gentile doesn't matter to me. God looks at the heart. God looks at us all the same. So at the whole time, our culture thought it was acceptable to be racist in certain areas, and maybe some forms of our culture still feel it's acceptable to be racist in certain areas. The Bible view was different all along. The, the biblical view never changes, but the cultural view always changes. And what's acceptable today and the way people feel today and the morals that are accepted in the culture today are gonna be different in 50 years or 75 years. But the morals that we find in the pages of scripture are going to be the same. So we wanna keep ourselves unspotted by the world. We want the views that we have to come from what the scriptures say. I'll close with this example. Charles Swindoll is teaching the book of, uh, I think, First Timothy. He's talking about women teachers. And he starts off his whole message by saying this. He says, first of all, this is a pastor's, you know, toughest verse that he has to cover. And he said, if you take your cues from the world, then you are not going to like me at the end of this service. But if you take your cues from the Bible and from God, then you're going to have a better understanding as to why God has roles for men and roles for women and the differences that God gives in the roles that we have. It was a great way to start a study because it is dangerous ground to cover those particular passages. But it is true. Where do we take our cues from? Do we take our cues from the word or do we take our cues from the culture? And we need to remain unspotted by the world. And if we can look in the perfect law of liberty, see those things that God shows us continue in them, then we will be blessed in everything we do. And I want to be blessed. And I want you to be blessed. And better yet, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. He's just not upset at you. He wants to bless you. If we can look in the perfect law of liberty and do those things that we find there. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. It is profound and life-changing. And when we think about passages like these that tell us that you want to work in our lives, Lord, we want our we want our religious activity, whatever that is, to be meaningful. We not only want it to change our speech, we want it to change our lifestyle. We want it to change who we are. We want that to be noted by those that are around us. And we remember that you have given us the keys to the kingdom and that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Help us to shine as lights for you. I pray for those that are here who are struggling with a stronghold in their lives, who have not put aside wickedness and filthiness, but instead have just struggled with it. I pray that they would put off that sin and put you on. We pray that they would walk in the Spirit, fill them with the Spirit now, even as we pray, that we, they could walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Help us to sow to the Spirit that we would be wise so that we would not reap from the flesh, but we would reap from the Spirit. And we thank you for this. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.